Hello, I'm Roman Bacon, and this is Cinemascapes. On today's podcast, two very different looks at communities under pressure. First looking at Bacurau, a weird western set in a rural northern village in Brazil, the second, Pompoco, a delightful raccoon adventure set on the outskirts of Tokyo. As a critic, I have a special relationship with Kleber Mendoza Filho. As a student writer at the Bohr newspaper at the University of Warwick, the first ever review I turned in on a new film was Neighbouring Sounds. I did think it was my first ever review, but that was actually a retrospective piece on Journey to Italy. Anyway, I found Neighbouring Sounds to be a confounding, slow, yet major movie that took me days and days to review, much to the consternation of my editor, before I finally settled on a huge score of five stars, finishing my review with Neighbouring Sounds is an original work of art constructed through the eyes of a poet, which in time will be seen as an art house classic. If you care about cinema that challenges your conceptions of the world, I thoroughly recommend that you go see this film. I think this verdict holds up. Mendoza Filio, who was recently a member of the jury at this year's Berlinale, is a major league director, as seen by his latest film, Baccarat. It's another weird, atmosphere-heavy piece, training in Antonioni-esque suburban isolation for the Western, layering elements of sci-fi on top for extra satirical effect. But what's interesting is how parts of my 2012 Neighbouring Sounds review could also apply to this film. For example, I wrote of Neighbouring Sounds that At times it seems that the stories have little to do with one another, more they try to provide differing views of life in the suburbs through its almost documentary-like portrayal of its characters. I never saw Aquarius, but Baccarat seems to carry on in the same vein as Neighbouring Sounds, by giving us a total immersion into a community first, its culture, customs, traditions, music and attitudes, before moving into the plot. It takes place in a forgotten town in the Brazilian Satao, which means countryside in Portuguese. The water has been cut off, leading Teresa, Barbara Colon, to begin the film driving a large water truck through the countryside. She is back just in time for the funeral of the town's matriarch, who has died at 94 and seems to be a symbol for the town's old ways. She is given a martyr's burial, handsomely laid to rest by everyone in the town. But stranger things are afoot such as a deliberately old-timey spaceship that hovers over the region, spying on the people. Then, as one of the teachers tries to show the kids where Baccarat is on an online map, he finds that the town has been curiously removed. These weird events pile up on top of each other, until a pair of southern Brazilians, Paulistas from Sao Paulo, rock up in the town on their motorcycles, decked out in fluorescent colours. To me, these scenes are done extremely well, creating a weird sense of foreboding that doesn't really resolve itself until much later in the film. The cinematography by Pedro Sotero and the performances are so crisp, 
so well delineated between characters that it doesn't need standard thriller cliches, but can create a menacing mood through simple dialogue and glances alone. Filio is a supremely confident director. It's so easy for films such as these, you know, heavy on atmosphere and elliptical narration, to completely lose their way, to become both uninvolving and ultimately uninteresting. But he manages to keep things engaging throughout, especially during the film's dark second-half turn, moving into the realm of classic Western movies like Rio Bravo or Pale Rider, where the citizens must fight off a horde of unwelcome invaders. Coming at a time when the arts in Brazil is under attack by fascist-in-chief Bolsonaro, who has slashed cinema funding to an almost non-existent degree, as well as his frankly genocidal, racist attitudes towards indigenous people in the north, and Baccarat feels like a work of active resistance. This is felt in every aspect of the town, its diversity in ages, sizes, and sexual orientation, one big fuck you to the white supremacy of someone such as Bolsonaro. This film is on Mubi, where there's about two weeks left. I would fully, fully recommend it. Even if you can't quite figure out exactly where it's going, the action sequences themselves filled with plenty of blood, guts and gore are just highly, highly entertaining. I would give it a 9 out of 10. Now it's time for... Spoiler Zone. So it turns out that the villains hunting down this town are not really Brazilians, but a motley group of Americans and Europeans who hunt down villagers for fun. The two Paulistas we saw earlier are being hired for reconnaissance and are not considered white although they are, by the rest of the gang. And this evil gang are led by none other than Udo Kier, who puts on a delightfully loopy performance as a German who has lived in America for over 40 years, and he puts one man rightly to task for the cliché of calling him a Nazi before being one of the most brutal murderers in the movie. He's a complete weirdo and just brilliant in every aspect here. Simply put, this is the allegory that the hunt... Which, which I reviewed in my first podcast, so desperately wanted to be enigmatic when it needed to be, sharp at other times, and intelligent in spades. But when it comes to accurately portraying the nuances of hate, the us-versus-them dynamic that is ripping the world in half, Baccarat pulls no punches in its political position, clearly siding with the oppressed. The hunt backs a both-side argument, while Baccarat backs a one-side argument which cannot help but feel like the right side. The villagers fight back, violently, blowing the invaders to pieces. Filio has a touch of the bizarre here. One naked man and his naked wife blow the faces off their enemies before putting their clothes on. Their unshapely bodies a humorous symbol of their proud, perhaps not movie-like, identity. Then in one of my favourite touches from the movie... The guns that the villagers arm themselves with all come from the town's local museum. When the National Museum of Brazil burned down in 2018, it felt like a loss of an immeasurable amount of culture and a symbol for what Bolsonaro is doing to the country. So by having a museum be the central metaphor for resistance here, it's obvious that Baccarat is pinpointing the importance of knowing your past in order to confront the perils of the future. 
Likewise, the more you know about Western hybrids, and I'm not talking about cowboys versus aliens, the more you will enjoy the way Baccarat messes around with tropes here. This is possibly an all-timer. Sometimes, good ideas just come to me by accident. I knew I wanted to watch Baccarat, considering all the hype it had since its Cannes release, but I only re-watched Pompoka recently because it came with the latest batch of Studio Ghibli releases on Netflix, and I missed those super cute Tanuki raccoons. But like with Porco Rosso, which I also re-watched a few weeks back, it appears that Pompoko is a far, far, far better film than I remember. In fact, I would go so far as to say this is another capital M major Ghibli effort, a document of a changing world that carries just as an important ecological message as Princess Mononoke. What was really fascinating, though, is how this film has so many similarities with Baccarat, including the ways that communities find ways to shape themselves and to fight back against invaders. This time it's not colonialists, but the forces of construction and the forces of urbanization and overpopulation of the human race. A few criticisms of this movie seem to be that it's too specific to Japan for anyone outside of the country to fully appreciate And while I am sure there are some cultural nuances that went way over my head, as can happen, the universal thrust of the story is actually very easy, basically functioning like a goofier version of Watership Down. Yet like the protagonist of Baccarat, the raccoon's way of life, which has remained intact for thousands of years, is under attack, this time from the forces of suburban expansion. While the average Japanese person moving into the suburbs surrounding Tokyo is not evil like the villains in Baccarat are, they are somewhat unthinking, Pompoko using its animal perspective to comment upon the strangeness and ignorance of everyday human life. It also asks questions like, why do we always cramp ourselves together on disgusting, overcrowded trains? Why do we go to work every day? Why do we live in such strange houses? Perhaps the raccoons have a point. After all, these are smart, imaginative, playful creatures. As the folk tales go, they are shape-shifting raccoons, who can be the normal raccoons we see in daily life, but when humans aren't around, they stand on two legs with, for the men, huge balls swinging underneath. This is a very strange touch, which is good to see that Disney didn't censor this when they re-released it with the English dub. They also have the capacity, like foxes, to turn into anything they choose, as long as they possess the talent. Pompoko lays out in great detail the lives of these creatures, which are by nature very friendly, but find that friendliness is standing them in bad stead when it comes to stopping developers from building on their land. The film delights in the tricks they use to get rid of the humans, which range from all-out attacks to spooky hauntings, manipulating certain shrined areas to appeal to Japanese people's sense of folktales, religion, and sanctity. The sheer imagination on offer here is Ghibli playfulness at its purest, and at times its most effective. 
It is aided by the use of a narrator, who adds a certain documentary-like history that I've really appreciated. In the English dub, it's by master narrator Maurice Lamarche, who has done voices for countless animations, including The Critic, where he parodied Orson Welles, Space Jam, Futurama, and Team America, where he did Alec Baldwin's voice. It seems to foreshadow Courtney B. Vance's narration in Wes Anderson's Pompoka-inspired, surely, Isle of Dogs, especially in its specific details, such as telling the exact era the raccoons live in. This voiceover is blended with that of various raccoons, creating a collective voice of frustration against the unending tide of modernity. Like in Baccarat, there is no real central character to the movie. Instead, the entire raccoon community is used as a stand-in for nature and the animal world, playing for harmony between all species. This 1994 effort is directed by Isao Takahata, the other major director at Studio Ghibli, apart from Hayao Miyazaki, who took many more stylistic diversions from the house Ghibli style from the mostly naturalist exploration of one woman's life in Only Yesterday to the cartoon strip-like animation of My Neighbours, the Yamadas, he's always looking at ways to find different ideals for representation in cinema. You can see that with the tale of Princess Kagura as well, which is more inspired by watercolour paintings than by traditional uh, film animation. Alongside Grave of the Fireflies, Pompoko is one of his very best films, and one that uses its comic and documentary elements to strengthen its tragedy. By showing the innate power and beauty and humour of the raccoons, it hits all the deeper when their way of life is irreversibly affected. Coming at a time where climate change is always in the mind of a lot of people, and we have to rethink our relationship to the natural world, Pompoko seems perhaps slightly ahead of its time. I would fully recommend it among the other new Ghibli entries to Netflix this month. This has been Cinemascapes, currently on SoundCloud, but I'm also looking to move it to YouTube Thank you so much for tuning in. See you all on Thursday.